Galatians, the fifth chapter. And everybody stand, would you please? I'd sure like to let you fellowship longer, but I know that we have a big day tomorrow in which we will fellowship until we just can't fellowship anymore. But uh, please remember the picnic tomorrow. And each family bring what you and your family would eat, plus uh, a little extra for some guests, and bring a guest along. And uh, I'm going to try, by the help of the Lord, to play softball for the first time tomorrow. But everybody go easy on me now. And uh, who's going to run? Well, I don't know who's going to run. <laughs> the fastest one. I'll. We'll have sprints to start with, and whoever can run the fastest will run from, not from me, but for me. <laughs> Praise God. I've had problems with this ankle, and problems with this ankle, and problems with this ankle, and I've uh, not played softball this year. But I'm going to give it a try tomorrow. I feel like it, uh, if I get crippled up, at least there won't be any other temptations for the rest of the year. It'll be all over, and uh, I'll have till spring to. <laughs> no, I'm just looking forward to, to the picnic. We always have a great time, a great time. Now, right after service, I'd like to meet with all of the parents who have children in our Christian school downstairs in a large learning center. Now, this is in relation to uh, some of the athletic uh, uh, events that we're planning on having, especially in the area of aerobics. So we'd like to meet with all of the parents downstairs. Now, right after service, find someone to keep your children. No children are allowed in the uh, learning center with the parents. All right, this is very, very important. We'd like for all of you to, to attend. Now, as you know, Sister Grant and I will be attending the general conference, and we're planning on driving to the uh, general conference. This is something that uh, we have looked forward to doing. We'll be gone longer than we've ever been gone from the church, ever. And uh, that will be close to three weeks. But uh, we would like for uh, all of the members of our board of elders to meet with me on Sunday morning the 16th of September Sunday morning the 16th of September at 9 o'clock now that's a different time for a board meeting I understand that but that's what we want to do and we just want to discuss a few things before we leave of course I know that everything will go well truth of the matter is we're planning on having a board meeting on Sunday morning of one time per month on Sunday morning. That is a a logical time to have it. It really is. Nine o'clock, I know that we have a stewardship class and people are getting ready for that, but I talked with the Rossings and Brother Sister Cox and they felt that they could get ready for the stewardship classes beforehand. And we'll meet in the stewardship class. Now, there will be all kinds of refreshments there, which will be a little tempting. <clears throat> we trust that when the board meets, we will be able to uh, 
persuade those who are fixing for the stewardship class to go a little heavy that week. I've got something tonight that I I know is not a Sunday night message from the standpoint of, uh, of outreach and evangelism. But it is something that has been on my heart now for a good number of weeks. It's a type message I'd really like to give to our whole church. And I understand that, that we're very low in attendance tonight due to the holiday weekend. we got a lot of people traveling. I even thought about calling a saints meeting for this message. But I thought that it would just be good to, for me to to go right along and preach this. It's hard to get everybody together at one time. And usually when you have a saints meeting, you get fewer people than you do at a regular service. <laughs> so, for all of our guests who are here, if I sound real uh, deliberate and pointed... Uh, and such, it's only because that I feel that way. The truth of the matter is, I'm preaching tonight on the subject, a ministry of love. And I just want to point out some things about the scripture that I feel that's so very, very valuable. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 14 is the scripture that I plan on speaking from. But I would like to back up and start reading of verse 11. Galatians 5, verse 11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross Ceased. Now, taking in context, the the uh, scriptures before verse eleven, what Paul is saying is that, that there is a possibility that the offense of the cross can be can cease. Uh, the cross was meant to be offensive to the human flesh. That's what he's saying. That the preaching of the cross diametrically opposes that which you would normally or naturally do because we are sinners by nature. See? There are things that I want to do and quite frankly there are quite a few things that I quite often want to do and I consider it and there's just something that screams out from Golgotha that says, no, you can't do it. The cross is offensive to me. You follow what he's saying, and we'll go on, and I think you'll see it. I would they were even cut off, which troubled you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. See, we've been called to liberty, and sometimes we get to feeling our liberty too much. See, so he says now while we have been called to liberty he said don't use that liberty just to satisfy the flesh see 
If you do so, then the offense of the cross ceases, so you have no convictions then. See? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God bless you. you may be seated. A ministry of love. Now, if, if I know anything about the operation of the Spirit, I think I have discovered in my study of the Word of the Lord that why you do some things are to God just as important as doing them. Now, for an example, 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, speaks of giving. We cover this in our stewardship classes. We've talked about it so many times, but 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves one kind of giver. That's a cheerful one. See? Well, giving is so important, and the answer to getting is giving. When you give, you should give a certain way. And he's not talking about tithing here. I think the tithing in the Bible, there is a promise that's blessed to you, whether you want to do it or not, because God even goes so far as to set the percentage of your giving and tithing. But that's not true in your normal giving. You know, we gave to missions tonight. You, you read anything in the Bible that tells you how much you should give to missions? You, you can't read that in the Bible, see. And your faith is regulated or it is determined by your attitude. In other words, if you're giving to the point that your attitude's bad, then you need to back up and not give so much. Now, <laughs> that sounds strange, especially coming from a preacher, doesn't it? <clears throat> but I tell people this, and I, I still believe it. If you can give one dollar in every offering, and you can give it cheerfully or hilariously, as the Greek word denotes, then give it. If you can give five dollars cheerfully, then give it. But if you ever start giving to the point in which you're giving only out of necessity, or you do it grudgingly, as the scripture says, then as far as I'm concerned, you just kissed your five dollars by, you'll never see it again because your faith has run out. 
You have peaked already. God loves a cheerful giver. So what the scripture is saying is, it's important to give. But how you give is just as important as giving. See, that's, that's what he's saying. And when we begin to look in the Bible, we can discover certain things that mean so much to God. This morning, I read from Romans, the 13th chapter. I'd like to continue reading, but I'd like to just read a little further. So if you turn to Romans, the 13th chapter. Of course, we're on an, we are on an entirely different subject tonight. Romans 13. I do think, though, you're going you're gonna to see chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 going right hand in hand or right together. So Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 8, says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, the law that's spoken of here is not just the law of Christ, that is of the New Testament, but it's talking about the Old Testament law that's also incorporated in grace. You know, a lot of the law is, is found in the grace dispensation also. It's there. And, of course, the law is fulfilled in one word, and that word is love. See, when we normally think of the Old Testament law, we don't think of that. We don't think of love at all. Because the Bible says the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to God. And, it, and the law is a mirror that lets us see ourselves. And the law condemns, but grace bringeth life. And the letter killeth, but the spirit is life. And, and we begin to, uh, to look at all this, and sometimes we draw a conclusion relative to the Old Testament law that is... Totally incorrect. You see, the law of God was motivated by one attribute of God, and that's love. Now, sometimes people don't see love involved in what God's doing. For an example, when God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, and when he placed cherubims by the gates with flaming swords and wouldn't let them back in, a lot of people do not see an act of love involved in that. But God makes it very plain, very specific. The reason why that I won't let you back in is because there's the tree of life in the midst of the garden. If you eat of that tree, you're going to live forever. Well, everybody wants to live forever. God says, yes, and I want you to live forever. But if you eat of that tree after you have broken communication from God... You have fallen away from God. You will live forever with the curse of God upon you. And that curse is to be removed in Calvary. And so eternal life will not be locked in until the act of Calvary by Jesus Christ upon the cross. See. So <clears throat> the law was that way. You see, now the problem... The problem with a lot of people is that when they read the Bible, they fail to see what God is really trying to get them to see. And so as a result, 
it is quite easy for us to become mechanical in our responsibilities, even to the point that we let things creep into us that are of no value at all to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus pronounced seven woes upon the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And do you know what I get out of Matthew 23 when he pronounced all those woes upon the Pharisees? You know, this is even when Jesus spoke of the time. He said, these things you ought to have done, not to leave the other undone. He said, what the problem is, he said, you omitted some of the weighty, uh, some of the heavier, weightier matters of the law. In other words, things that were more important, you left it out. And you, you, you took and strained through the things that you wanted. And so as a result, you, you took and fulfilled the law to the very letter of the law. However, he said, there's a spirit that goes along with that law and you miss the spirit of it. This is when Jesus talks about the Sabbath day. Was man created for the Sabbath or was the Sabbath created for man? See? And so Jesus gets into the very spirit of the law and why they ought to be doing things. And what he's saying is your motive for doing things is wrong. You know, I just want to challenge everybody's motive here tonight. Because I think it's so very, very important. So very, very important. Now, let's read on in, in Romans, the 8th chapter. Pardon me, 13th chapter, verse 8. Now let's move on to verse 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, uh, kill, pardon me, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The prime mover behind the fulfilling of the law must be love. That's what he's saying. It was love that sent Jesus Christ to Calvary. It's love that causes a man to lay down his life for his brother. See? And Jesus is saying through the Apostle Paul and through all the other writers of the, of the New Testament that, uh, that there, is a, there has to be a purpose for doing things. And, and if the purpose is not right or the motive is not right, you will not fulfill the commandment of God. See, you don't fulfill the commandment of God just simply because you didn't commit adultery. You don't fulfill the commandment of God because you didn't kill somebody. You don't fulfill the commandment of God simply because that you didn't steal from anybody. You don't fulfill the commandment of God because you didn't covet or bear false witness. Not just simply by doing that. But it's what's inside of you that causes you not to do that thing that, that, that the Lord is real concerned about. So what we're going to do tonight, we're just going to kind of jerk back the covers from everybody's soul. And we're going to take a good look at ourselves and, and the reason why that we do certain things. So love is an important part. It is the 
it's the prime mover. It's, it's the real motivator, or should be, for everything that we do. For everything that we do. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the Apostle Paul, he speaks of love. I just want to point out something here that, that is a pattern in the Bible. And I think it's so very beautiful. This morning we talked a little bit about 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul outlines spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, he regulates spiritual gifts. Sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 is a chapter on love. Now, if you read it very carefully, you will understand why he writes this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, he speaks of the tongues of, of men. Basically, he's talking about by revelation or by doctrine, as we explained in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you and speak to you with tongues, what shall I profit you except I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. Now what he's saying here is, though I come and speak with the tongues of men, that is my, my normal tongue, or even if I speak with the unknown tongue, and yet my motive's not right, he said, well, it's, it's just going to kind of fall flat. It's going to be as the sounding of brass, the sound of brass, or... Of a tinkling cymbal. In other words, it's not, it's not going to have the right ring to it. Something's going to be wrong. Now, I'm sure that many of you who are acquainted with spiritual gifts have been in meetings before. Where maybe somebody kind of had a little chip on their shoulder against the group. You know, I, there's always some people that are holier than anybody else, quote unquote. And they always seem to want to exercise their, their authority or their power among the people by, by, by condemning or making people feel uncomfortable. And, and if that doesn't work, then they like to prophesy about it. Well, first place, if, the, if their motive is not right, it just kind of falls flat. You know, every now and then you'll hear tongues and interpretation, and, and, or you'll hear prophesying, and, and something doesn't quite sound right about it. It didn't seem to do much harm, but on the other hand, it didn't do any good either. And why even do it at all, if it can't be for edification? See, that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14. So... And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, in other words, I've got the revelation, and all knowledge. See, now that's what he's saying over here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, or verse uh, 6. I mean, I got it all. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and I don't have love, I don't have much. That's what he's saying. I just plain don't have much. 
I don't know what it is about people, but they, they kind of think that their spiritual spirituality is gauged by, you know, how how uh, uh, much they can, can get involved in, in the exercising of spiritual gifts. See? He said, uh, <clears throat> you don't have much if you don't have love. And, 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 and if all of your prophesying and preaching and understanding and revelations and faith, even faith that could move a mountain... Now, normally, if we saw a man who was just very charitable and he upped his neighbor, loved his neighbor, and that's about all he did, and we saw another man who'd prophesy, I mean, have faith to the point that he could just move great mountains and heal people with his faith and everything, we would, we would kind of omit, we'd overlook the guy who was just charitable, charitable toward his neighbor. And, and we would put more emphasis on the man who's doing the great things, even though that's all he's doing. But, you know, <laughs> you see, man looks on what happens outwardly. God looks on that heart, see. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have faith to move mountains. I'm not saying that at all. I think it's necessary to have faith. I think we need more miracles. We need more happenings. But you see, some people, they, when, they, when they strive to see those things happen, they, they don't do it because their motive is right. Consequently, they end up with a lot of, in a lot of confusion, and mi- they're mixed up, and they don't really know what's happening. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity. Now, <clears throat> this is a strange scripture. And the reason why, doesn't it seem to you that a man who is actually given money to feed the poor, don't you think he'd be a charitable person? Now you normally think so. But you see, Paul is saying, wait a minute. There is such a thing as giving wrongly. See? See, you can give all of of your money to feed the poor, at the same time, you did it for reasons that you shouldn't be doing it for. Somebody's going to recognize me if I give $500 to charity. You, You see, you may not love the poor people at all. You know, it's possible to give to missions and not care one thing about missions. Some people do it for tax purposes. You know, to to be given to the cause of the Lord because it's tax deductible is a very poor reason to do it. But you see, as as I weed through the Bible, I can see these apostles and Jesus Christ himself nailing down certain things because they were concerned. They wanted maximum productivity out of every deed that's done. And you can't get it if your motive is not right. 
is, he said, now, if you do all this and you don't have love, then what does it profit you? Charity suffereth long and is kind. Now, what he does here, he begins to explain what real love is. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemingly. Or out of the ordinary. That's what it's saying here. Love seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, or love, never fails. Now, he goes on to conclude this. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Now, this is sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And if you read then, go into 1 Corinthians 14. He says, now the reason why that we exercise spiritual gifts is for edification. In other words, it's for the good of the whole body. It's for the lifting up the body. You see, spiritual gifts were designed to leave the personality who is involved in, in the speaking, way back in the background, and push Jesus Christ out in the front, and totally obliviate or hide the man who has been used, so that the entire body will lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that God will be magnified, and therefore his body on the face of the earth will be undergirded with strength and edification. Sandwiched in between is the chapter on love. Now, you see, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul speaks of, of something in Galatians 5, and I'd like for you to turn back to Galatians 5. This is where we first started reading. Galatians 5, the character of God is in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, character is what you are, and God is is uh, is love. The spiritual gifts represent the authority, or not the authority, but the power of God on the face of the earth. Now, when the power of God is being displayed before people, it should be displayed only when the proper character motivates it. You see, power placed in the hands of a person with a wrong motive will destroy. It will it will destroy. It won't edify. It'll tear down. It won't bring life. It'll bring destruction. Now if, if you look here in verse 23, let's read verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, such there is no law. 
Now that doesn't mean that uh, there's no law to regulate it. Because our love is regulated by principle, by the law of the Lord. But when it says against such there is no law, the reason why that he uses this terminology, it's like a man who's driving down a freeway someplace, and you ask him, what's the speed limit? And uh, you, you notice he's going a little bit too fast, at least to suit you. And he says, well, on this freeway, there is no speed limit. If you go over in Europe, you find a lot of all the autobahns over there that way. I was over there with Brother and Sister Mackie. It was Sister Grant Steve and I over there with Brother and Sister Mackie and Becky. And listen, he just, wow. We got in that little Ford van, and we were just going down the road lickety-splitting. And I said, what's the speed limit? He said, there is no speed limit here. And, and you see, this is what he's saying here. Against such there is no law. In other words, you can love all you want to love. There's no law against how much you love. Just make sure that you understand what love's all about. When you love. You can have all the faith you want to have. There's no limit on faith. Just make sure that your faith is faith and not a bunch of foolishness. See? You can have all the joy that you want to have, but make sure that your joy is real joy. It's not just a pasted-on smile. See? Make sure that your long-suffering and gentleness and goodness... Is is really that way, and and if it's the way that it ought to be, then then there's no limit. There's no law against it. Just love all you want to, suffer as long as you want to, be as good as you can, have all the faith you want to have, smile all you want to smile, jump around as much as you want to jump around, have all the joy you want. No limit. Make sure it's real joy, though. See. Make sure that it's real joy. Now the character of God must be evident before we use His power. See, And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. It must be evident before we use His power. Now, let's go to the spiritual gifts found in Romans 12. And this may be a little bit of an eye-opener. Because the Apostle Paul, contrary to what we sometimes think, he gives it the same way in Romans 12. <clears throat> Just uh, uh, let's, uh, let's start reading about verse 3 in Romans 12. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, this is really explained in 1 Corinthians 12. He does the same thing to the church at Corinth. This is my finger. This is my ear. 
Now, what is more important to me, this ear or this finger? That's really hard to say because it all depends on what I want to do. Because it is possible to work with my hands and I don't have to hear a thing. But there are times when I need to hear some things and stop my work. So you can't look out among the body of Christ and say, Oh, we can't do without Him. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great man. We just we can't do without Him. The truth of the matter is we can't do without any of you. See, every person here is needing. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. Verse 6. Where the prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Our ministry, let us wait upon our ministering, or he that teacheth upon teaching. You never thought teaching was a spiritual gift, did you? Or he that exhorteth upon exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, it's hard to show mercy with cheerfulness. Because mercy is withholding of judgment. And and, and this is a this is a real tough one. I gotta tell you it's a real tough one. You know, you go to your child that's broken your commandment, you say, Okay, son. Now this time I'm going to let you buy, but I've got news for you. If you do this again, I'm going to double what I promised I was going to give before. I'm going to turn you every way but loose, and you're going to know when I finish with you who's boss here. Mercy with cheerfulness. Well, I'll tell you what. Now, that really rubs me the wrong way when I read this. I told you there's some things. This is the offense of the cross. When Jesus died upon the cross and said it is finished, just prior to that, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, the death and the burial and the resurrection, listen to me carefully, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the gospel, and the gospel comes from two words which means good news. It almost sounds to me like being sin was judged upon Calvary that it should be bad news. But it's called good news. Isn't that strange? It's showing mercy with cheerfulness. There's an act of joy involved when mercy is granted. Boy, that's... Mm. Verse 9. But let your love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation here means hypocrisy. Well, don't go patting somebody on the back when you really wish you had a sword in your hand so you could stab him. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. 
in honor, preferring one another. Not slowful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep. Now what's, what's he saying here in all of this? When you are ministering, when God has given you talent, when he's given you ability, there is only one motive behind what you're doing, and that is that you can exercise it with love and be what God wants you to be. And if you ever get to the point where you think, boy, I've got a great big talent. I wish everybody could see what I can do. Skip it, friend. We don't need it. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide all things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now I want to keep reading. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place to wrath, as is written. As for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So if somebody's done you wrong, don't strike out to see if you can get him back. I've got to pull my glasses off and look at you. You're scaring me. <clears throat> this is the Bible. I say, this is the Bible. This is the Bible. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. In other words, leave it up to the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Wow. In other words, <laughs> the offense of the cross. Doesn't that stab you? If he thirst, give him a drink. For in doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, heaping coals of fire on his head. Now, I've heard so many interpretations of this, but it's not saying what most people think it's saying. You say, boy, if you do this, you'll just burn him up. You just, no, that's not what he's saying. In the Bible days, they didn't have matches like we have matches. You know, if you want to light a fire, you just open a matchbox. You get a match, strike it, there you got a fire. The fire was kept lit all night long. And in the winter time, somebody from each household was sent out into the streets where the fire was kept burning or a bucket of coals. And he got the coals off of the big fire and he put those in a vessel of pottery and put it on his head and he walked back to his household. 
And what the Bible is saying here, if you really want to warm up your neighbor to you, if you really want him to feel the fire from your fire, if you want the Holy Ghost to burn on him, if you want his bad attitude and frigid ways toward you to melt, do all of these because you're going to take some of your fire and you're going to put it in his vessel to warm him up. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with, let's say it together, good. So what Paul is saying here when he outlines spiritual gifts, he does exactly what he was doing there to the church at Corinth. He said, now here is the real prime mover for spiritual gifts and for having a ministry in the body of Christ. It's got to be a ministry of love. Now, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 now. Let's turn back there. 1 Corinthians 12. We, we think that, that there are nine spiritual gifts outlined. Now, if you read from verse 12, uh, all the way through the end of the chapter, you're going to find that, hey, there are some things there that that uh, just go hand in hand with what he was saying over here in, in Romans 12. But in verse 28, he says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, Now, I've lost, uh, what verse did I say? Okay. And secondly, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now, you see, some people are sent into the body to do nothing but just help. Does that sound like a spiritual gift? In other words, what do you need help with? I think that's great. You notice he had governments here. Some people are sent to be administrators. Well, that's what the, that's what the Bible says. See? So when I read spiritual gifts in the Bible, really everything that you do as far as your ability is concerned, the ability that the Spirit gives you is a spiritual gift. Whether you're singing in the choir, whether you're playing the piano, whether you're playing the organ, whether you're preaching behind the pulpit, whether you're working in the rest home service, teaching downstairs, working in discipleship class, driving the bus, ushering, it doesn't make any difference what you're doing. What he does, he labels us all under spiritual gifts. And really what he says is, now the real motive for everything you do in the body of Christ has to be love. In other words, did you sing tonight, Brother Felix, because that you love God and you love the people? Or did you sing because you loved your voice and you wanted everybody to hear it?
course, you and I know Brother Felix, and we know why he sung tonight. But I want to be real plain with you. If you're singing only because you want people to hear your voice, forget it. It won't work. If you're preaching only because you think that you're a good preacher and people need to hear what you have to say because you're the greatest among us, forget it. It won't work. If you're playing an instrument because you think you're the best in town, forget it. It doesn't work. If you're doing all of these things because you think somebody ought to be slapping you on the back and building you up and making something big out of you, forget it. It won't work. I said, just doesn't work. I said, just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 3. Now, let's go there. If there be any consolation in Christ, verse 1, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. You know, <clears throat> this word strife, it, it <clears throat> this is this is something that strife is something that gets among the, the body and you can't quite put your finger on it. See? In other words, somebody gets their feelings hurt at church and they decide, well, we won't go next service. Well, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. Now, you've got to be smarter than that to think that you're going to hurt the body of Christ through that kind of carrying on. That's like a cheap movie. Hello? No, still out there? Didn't hear a peep. You know, and all the travels that I have done, you'd be surprised at some of the things that I that I have run across. I remember one time when they were remodeling a church where I went to preach, and and because that the church was not painted on the interior the color that one brother wanted to paint, he refused to be a part of it. He says, "I will not be a part of it if it can't be painted the color I want it to be painted." And you know. Well, he stirred up a lot of stuff about that. And then when the pastor bought the paint, he sat outside of the lumber company in his car about two, ten blocks down the street. And I asked him later, because I was helping, how come he didn't drive up here? He said, I won't touch it with a ten-foot pole. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> some of you new ones, this really shocks you, don't, doesn't it? Because you thought we were all perfect. Now, that didn't happen here. That didn't happen here. But, you know, it is easy for all that kind of stuff to get in, inside of people. You know, do it my way and I'll con contribute. If you don't do it my way, then I won't do it.
I, I have heard of people that, that did things out of strife. You know, they just, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, they found out a way. I didn't get to sing last week, so I'll show them. I, want, I just won't sing at all on this next Sunday. I'll be sick or something. Keep your voice to yourself. Calvary Gospel Church don't need that kind of carrying on. I didn't get to preach. It was my time to preach. And Brother Grant didn't put me on the schedule. But now I have never heard this complaint, okay? I'm just telling you. So. <laughs> All the ministers are going, wow. Our ministers are greater caliber than that. But we're human and the potential is always there. So I just won't be available next week. Well, probably you won't be available next month either. <clears throat> you know, we just, we, we, we preach because we want to edify the body of Christ. Praise God. Let nothing be done through strife. In other words, don't ever do one thing. Through strife. And as I said, what is strife? It's that little point of agitation among the people. You can't quite put your finger on, but you feel it's there and you know it's there. And that becomes a real prime mover for a lot of people. Boy, they like that, you know. So, okay, they're going to push me around. I'll tell you one thing. I, I, when I got the Holy Ghost, God put boldness in me. Let me tell you something. He took out that contrary spirit, though. And if there's a contrary spirit in you, it's because you've let the devil and you've let the flesh come back upon you. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know what? I could shout. Praise God. I feel good. Hallelujah. Glory. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 You see, God has given us liberty in the Spirit so we don't have to worry about all that garbage. So we can praise the Lord and worship the Lord to the best of our abilities, displaying our talent, not for the purpose of of vain glory, but for the edification of his body on the face of the earth. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord again. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Now we're not going to stop there. In Philippians 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. In other words, every move that we make, we should do it humbly. Esteeming others better than ourselves. Do you know the reason why it's hard to esteem somebody better than yourself? Now, you listen to this. Now, this is so simple that it's almost corny. Do you know the reason why you can't esteem people better than yourself? Because you think you're better than they are. That was simple, wasn't it? <clears throat> you didn't expect anything that simple, did you? 
But you see, that's what he does in 1 Corinthians 12. He's saying, hey, you're not better than anybody else. Who can say that the finger is more important than the ear? Who can say that the nose is less important than the eye? Can you smell with your eye? Can you see with your nose? Read it. He says it all depends on what God wants to accomplish. There's a time for looking and there's a time for smelling. And you see, Paul says, God really needs us all. You see, we didn't, we didn't choose him. He chose us. And, and somebody, somebody said, Brother Grant, why did the Lord choose me? I'll tell you exactly why he chose you. Because he needed a finger or an ear or an eye or a nose. He needed you. That's why he chose you. But don't forget, the person who sits next to you who is Holy Ghost filled, he, need, he needed them too. <clears throat> Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now that's simply saying, <clears throat> let's suppose we got two preachers tonight, but aside. Okay. Brother Seidel just finished preaching. Now I'm finishing. So wait a minute. And we dismiss and everybody leaves. And I say, Brother Seidel, you did great tonight. I'm sure glad I was last. You notice how the Lord really used me? <laughs> just really. <clears throat> but uh, don't you worry. It'll be you next time. <laughs> Don't get discouraged. You might have it next time. I had it tonight. No, this says, look, don't look upon what you do, but seek out the best in your brother and your sister and magnify him instead of yourself. Why? Does that mean that yours didn't count? No, it's just that you can't evaluate yourself. Oh, I remember I used to hate to go to family reunions. I had so many aunts and uncles, and every time I'd go, they'd, they'd come up to me like I was some kind of a strange creature. You ever had that to happen in reunion? And you know what I was doing all that year? I was eating everything I could get my hands to hold. I was I was chinning up, I was pushing up, I was doing everything. I'd look at myself in the mirror and I'd say, Man, I wish I could grow. I really wish I could grow. And I thought I hadn't grown at all. And somebody, some outsider though, because you see, they didn't see me every day. Like I was telling you see, I was a poor evaluator of myself. Boy, Aunt Pearl spotted it. <laughs> Look at that John Wesley. 
My, you're going to be as big as your dad someday. Well, (laughs) 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 yeah, that's right. (laughs) But isn't that something? So he said, look, you're a poor evaluator yourself. Don't you, you you can't just go with the feelings that you have about yourself. You can't do that. So the best thing to do is to take something that you can evaluate properly and do it. So look, look for a brother or a sister. Anytime you think you've done something great, forget it. Just let that be a reminder to go to somebody and look out in their lives for something they've done well and say, you know, you really blessed my heart the other day when you preached the word of the Lord or when you taught, or that testimony you gave was so outstanding. It it just did something for me. It really did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, think like he thought. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross now doesn't stop there though wherefore God also having highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. You see, what the Bible is saying is this. The reason why he was exalted is because he did exactly what the Scripture requires you to do. Now you use him as a real prime example. If a man shall humble himself, he will be exalted, Jesus said. But if a man exalted himself, he's got his reward already. And God will humble him, or God will strip him. He will be a base. So don't get your eyes on yourself. Don't get your eyes on yourself. Don't get your eyes on yourself. How many among us are great? I think all of you are great. I really do. But you just need to blank out your own progress and your own talents and focus your attention on somebody else because you are a poor evaluator of yourself. You know, it just might be that you're you're ministering in a way that, in which is turning everybody off. And you might think, boy, I'm really doing it. I'm really doing it. You, you notice how I taught that class today? Wow, I was so demonstrative, and I put the emphasis here, I put emphasis there, and all oh, the kids were rowdy, nobody listened, but but it was good, you know. <laughs> I have seen some people so obliviated to their faults. All of us have faults, we know that. Now, in closing, I'd like for you to turn back to Romans 13. Romans 13, in closing. Verse 10, love 
worketh no ill to his neighbor. And what does the scripture say? Love does what? Worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now notice this. And that, comma, knowing the time, in other words, considering all of this, knowing the hour that we live in, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now, he said, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. What he's saying is, hey, Paul says, this is the way that that spiritual gifts are to be regulated and run. Now, because of the hour they live in, and because you know it, wake up, he said. It doesn't really operate the way you think. Shake yourself. Get out of your shell. Get out of your beds. Wake up to the fact that it's God's church. It's not your church. Wake up to the fact that God must be exalted, not man. Get up out of your sleep. Shake yourself from your slumber. Don't become cold and callous and hard and self-willed and stubborn to the point that God can't use you. Don't think that all of your talents... Come out of yourself in the goodness of your own flesh. Don't think just because your mother could sing well that you inherited your ability to sing. God made you just like He made your mother. Follow what He's saying? What He's saying is, hey, set the alarm and get up because Jesus Christ is coming soon. So, Let's lay all these things aside that we've been thinking about ourselves. Let's let that mind that was in Christ be right inside of you. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. I mean, isn't this really beautiful? Because I know then that God is not depending upon my natural ability, nor yours. It really gives me great hope. And because that you come to that same realization, it should give you great hope. Because if it were natural ability, there would be so many of us left out. But because we have the Holy Ghost, all of us are included all of us. Would you stand right now? Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And I said, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment.
I leave unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye love one another. A ministry of love. The prime mover for all that you are. Praise God. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You know, I just want more Holy Ghost. I want more love, and there's only one way I can get more love, and that's to get more like Jesus. Just let His own divine character push its way out. I want God to grow so big inside of me that He pushes Himself right out into my fingertips. I want Him to grow so big that God looks through my eyes. I want God to be so big inside of me that He speaks right through me. I want His ears to push right out my ears. His feet right out my feet. So that all that I do and say would be as if God were doing it and saying it. Hallelujah. Folks, there's a big world. And there's such a great opportunity to serve God in this evil hour. But please understand, this hour is filled with selfishness. I'd just like for everybody to step out if they wouldn't just come up close right here. A couple of brothers just move this to one side. Why don't we have all the brothers on the right over here, which is to my left, and all the sisters on my right, which is to your left. Our guests, feel free to participate. Hallelujah. <sighs> Praise God. Now I know there's not enough room for all, but you can just gather in where you can. We're just going to reach out and touch each other. Brothers to brothers and sisters to sisters. Now, if you're a guest here and you feel out of place in participating, nobody's going to feel that you're not cooperating if you don't. However, if you want to, we want you to. We're not trying to make you feel out of place. But just reach out right now to a sister and you brothers reach out to a brother. We just connect ourselves together. 
But let your hand be the real love of the Lord that reaches out. Can you do that right now? You see, it's the love of God that puts us together. That's the bond that wells us steadfastly in the faith. 